Hi, everybody. This is Will Hines. And this is Kevin Hines. Of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. Before we get going with the episode proper, we got a little cold open for you. Just jump right into it. No no warming up to us. Full force of the milk sops with no theme song. And you might have heard about this new television show on Netflix called Sandman. Yes. And we're getting requests on social media for us to do a crash course in Sandman. But listen, folks, we did 10 episodes on the Sandman comics. Yeah, we covered basically the whole run. We did like an episode and arc plus a few extras. So go back and find those episodes. They're, I think, really good, mostly. I listened to some of them recently, and I think they are good. So Will is one of our number one fans. I'm half of our audience. Yeah, that's every one of our episodes is still publicly available in the feed. So if you just scroll back and look for the ones called Sandman, that that's it. And the first one is a good introduction just to the character, if that's what you want. And if you want a deeper dive, you can keep listening to the other nine episodes. Yeah, there will be spoilers for, I guess, for the television show, because the television show seems like it's a pretty faithful adapt, uh, adaptation. So listeners beware. Listeners beware. Yeah, big spoilers. How long did you think this cold open was going to go? About 25% as long as it has gone already. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Right. We're well, good at this. We're good at this. Let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. The only podcast in human history where two brothers talk about something they like, and that thing is comic books. I'm one of your two co-hosts slash brothers slash kind of comedians slash lifelong comics fan, Will Hines. And the other one of all those things and more, I'm Kevin Hines. More. List one of the ways in which you are more. Uh, father. You don't know. I could be a father. Maybe I just didn't tell you. I might have a bunch of kids. I mean, I guess you might. I think you'd be sad about it. <laughs> that I'd you wouldn't like that they're not in your life you know i'd be i'd be surprised but if suddenly an improv team shows up and they're all wearing glasses and they want to do the pattern game and just make it about references i'll be like my children <laughs> you say that anyway yeah that's, I do. that's actually a lot of improvisers you've just described and they're all my kids um so this episode kevin we're this is a mutants and mailbags episode yeah, like last episode where we covered mutants and mail and didn't do mailbag. This is yes. also mutants and mailbag where we'll hopefully do some mail. We don't yet know if we're going to do mailbags, yeah. but it'll be in the description, the written description one way or the other. Um, yeah. For our mutants portion, we're doing something special. We're going over the four-issue miniseries called Wolverine that was written by Chris Claremont and drawn by Mr. F. Miller. Yeah, F. Miller. Uh, this uh, continuity-wise took place... Way back, we missed this uh, uh, big time. Yeah, it seems to have taken place right before the Paul Smith issues, basically. Yeah. And, and sort we, of just post-brood. Oh, man, don't say brood. Uh, yeah, so uh, we should have covered this ages ago, but, you know, we're kind of just going through Marvel Unlimited. And we're missing all these side things. So we're going back to the big ones. We Last week, we covered God Loves, Man Kills. Mm-hmm. And this week, we're covering the Wolverine miniseries. Sort of like, I mean, Wolverine is so predominant now. It's crazy to think like this was his first little solo book. Yeah. And I think this was like a big, like kind of coming out party for him. It was like the, it kind of elevated him from just one of the X-Men into a character that had his own popularity separate from the team. He, he went from a popular side character to like, hey, he's the lead character in this book. Yeah. Um. You know, it's hard to say whether that had already happened before this series came out or after, you know, but this is concurrent with Wolverine's kind of emergence. Yeah. And did, um, did you buy this when it came out? I did not. I don't think I had read this until preparing for this episode. I had not read it. I didn't know because you sort of were a get everything by Frank Miller at some point, but maybe that was after this. This, this came out in 1982. And I think you and I started getting comics in 1983. So Ugh. like, I think it was out and finished and it was still a little time before I would totally jump on the Frank Miller training, even though he was doing his initial run on Daredevil at that time. So yeah, you I got some of those as back issues. I, I got some of those as back issues, but I, for, I think because I was not a diehard X-Men fan, I didn't go back and get the Wolverine miniseries, even though at the time I remember hearing, oh, this is a really good miniseries. This is like, this is a big one you should get said my friends at the time. Yeah, I don't remember when I first heard about it, but I remember like knowing of its existence as like a big deal. I mean, Claremont, Miller, Wolverine. That's a that's a potent trio. 
Yes, I definitely the covers are very familiar to me. Yeah, like especially especially uh, issue one of this miniseries where Wolverine's like brandishing his claws and kind of gesturing, "Come here" with his finger. Like that's a famous drawing of Wolverine that I've seen all the time. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. Just like we're dumb, basically, and I don't know why we yeah. haven't read it, but so we read it at this time. It's kind of like we're a movie podcast. We're like, let's check out Jurassic Park or something like yeah. that. Like Godfather, we'll get around to it. <laughs> I mean, I knew there was a Godfather too. Yeah, yeah, I've seen references to it. I mean, I, you know, I I watched yeah. um, that Zucker Brothers parody of the Godfather. <laughs> Is there a Zucker Brothers? There's some, yeah, it's like called the family or something, right? I, I forget what it's called. I know there's um the Matthew Broderick, what was his thing? The freshman. Yeah, and then there's that's, um that's not a Zucker the, Brothers thing, but that's uh a, a, it's like a uh, funny take on that world. Yeah. What's what's the um Billy Crystal one that there was two of them? A- analyze uh, this and analyze that, where oh, he's the, like yeah, yeah. It's like the Sopranos, but dumb. He's like a therapist <laughs> for the mob. Like, what if the Sopranos was yeah. done by like two guys who wrote jokes for Milton Berle instead of like by David Chase or whatever. That's a pretty good joke. I just did there. I liked it. Um, so you tell, I didn't laugh, but that's just cause I'm a cause you were pro. Think, it was a thinker. You were taking it in. I don't break. Yeah. You commit hard. I watched that's you right. do improv. I never saw you break more than one that's or two right. times a scene. That's right. Yeah. Never, never, a third, <laughs> never a third time. <laughs> so, um, Wolverine, uh, the miniseries, came out in 1982, four issues, and it's basically Wolverine. Uh, it's a story of him in Japan finding out why his love, Mariko, has given up on him. Um, and it's very much Wolverine without the X-Men. And we did read the consequences and sort of after uh, the aftermath of this story in the regular issues of the Uncanny X-Men. Um, but we didn't read this. So, uh, Kevin, what did you think? Yeah, well, so I didn't realize this came out so early in Frank Miller's era until just now when you mentioned it to me. I, I did the zero research we're famous for. Yes, good. Uh, and that explains a lot because I was, uh, I guess I, I'm going to couch this in that it isn't as bad as what it sounds. I was underwhelmed by it. Uh-huh. Um, I think it was good and I enjoyed yes. it. Yes. But I was kind of hoping to be blown away. Right. And I really, really loved God Loves Man Kills. And this was, I don't even think half as good as that to me. I can see that. I can but see I what also, you're saying. I loved that. And yes, we, that's we just a high come bar. off of covering Dark Knight Returns and Born Again. Yes. And so my Miller bar is like, oh, this is peak Miller. Yes. But it's not peak Miller. It's like pre-peak Miller, I guess. And yeah, Wolverine has sort of been in a billion things since then, some of which... I think is better than this. Right. Uh, some a lot of which is worse, but like he's he's been in so much that I just sort of was like, oh, this is gonna be the best Wolverine story I ever read, was I think my expectations. Yeah. Which is kind of an unfair expectation. Yeah, I don't think this is as good as the Chris Claremont, John Byrne, like Wolverine infiltrating the Hellfire Club story, for example. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's not as good as Days of Future Past. I agree with that. But um, it is really solid, and I think it's the kind of thing you read if you're like a student of the X-Men or like, Frank Miller, and you kind of want to see the development. Like, there are seeds yeah. of what is to come with Frank Miller, and there's seeds of what is to come with the character Wolverine. I'm not sure I enjoyed this as much as uh, The Wolverine or Logan or really Hugh Jackman in general as Wolverine. Yeah. Um, and now some of that is because that's my really my first real look at Wolverine was those movie uh that movie part um it's weird to mix movies and comics also like I Logan I think is one of my all-time favorite superhero movies period uh and I like it a lot better than a lot of movies and I like it a lot mm-hmm. better than a lot of comic books even comic books I adore yeah and I often when I think of Wolverine I think of certain Hugh Jackman scenes which is not fair to the comics at all he, like, he is obviously he's building off of that stuff but like to me i was like i was like he, it was sort of a revelation of like how cool i was like oh i get why wolverine is cool now i mean hugh jackman is one of the all-time perfect movie casting yeah, like he's perfect reeve. in every way christopher reeve is superman uh robert downey jr as iron man like the yeah. perfect marriage of the actor's energy physical look and character's personality you i think you said on twitter recently that margot robbie and harley quinn is one of these which i agree I, with i think so 100 yeah like just uh, like it's like this person was born to play the part 
yeah, I mean, Margot Robbie is playing a version of Harley Quinn that is different than the animated series. And so mm-hmm. I kind of went and going, oh, I'm not going to like this. And then I was like, oh, I love her in every 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 Harley Quinn movie. And they're drastically different. And she's always great in it. And she anchors these movies. She's kind of like, in my opinion, what Robert Downey Jr. is to Iron Man, in which, case, in which his personality is not exactly what the right. Tony Stark Iron Man was, but it's it overlaps a lot with it. And the ways in which it's different is almost better. And then I yeah. like that. I like that better maybe than what I had thought. Yeah, it made he made me like Iron Man. Margot Robbie made me like Harley Quinn. Hugh Jackman made me like Wolverine. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to do a Christopher Reeve Superman because like he was always Superman. Yeah, right. You Somehow. were born like the year before that movie. So yeah. it's like, um, yeah, Christopher Reeve is kind of in another category all by himself in terms of superhero casting because he was the first all-time great casting, yeah. except for Burt Ward as Robin. Sure. I mean, most people say that. Um Actually, the the guy who played Captain Marvel in the old serials, I hear his name was often like perfect casting, though I've never seen those. I can't speak to that. But are you being truthful? I'm being 100 percent truthful. I often hear about the old Captain Marvel, you know, Shazam. Shazam. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Not not uh, Carol Danvers, Uh, Billy Batson, Captain Marvel serial, like the before movies. Yeah. A thing was like people talk about that as like, oh, the first great superhero movie. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Which makes me want to track it down and see it somehow. We should cover it. That's the kind of unpopular, not in the zeitgeist thing that we specialize in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what are we uh, here to talk about? Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, the Freshman by Matthew. Right. <laughs> analyze that. Um, you not analyze this. Yeah, the second one. I think they didn't really find their footing until the second one. <laughs> uh, yes. So uh, what did you think of this overall? That was I really enjoyed it. I kind of went in reverse. I, I actually was expecting it to be worse. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised. I feel like this is like four very strong X-Men issues, not peak X-Men issues, but like very strong, like just like it's an easy to follow, simple story. Mm -hmm. Um, The characters are fun. It introduces a new character who's really fun. Um, Probably a couple characters, but one main one, Yuriko. Oh, wait, Yu-Gi-Oh. Yukio. Yukio, sorry. And um, Yu-Gi-Oh, I think is like a card game for children. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, I'm an idiot. Uh, (laughs) But she's a really fun assassin character in the series, and so I, I was like, "Oh yeah, this this is this is really good." Um, what I've learned in our reading of X Men uh, is that Chris Claremont is not consistent. Like you can get weak Claremont issues, you know, where it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, he just, I, I for whatever reason, it's just sort of not as satisfying or a little too confusing, or the ending seems kind of slapdash on or something like that. And you, or you can get some of the best superhero comics you've mm-hmm. ever read. And you don't necessarily know when you pick up a Claremont issue, which one it's going to be. And this falls way more on the positive side, like just like a clean, strong superhero story with some great art. It's not yet peak Miller, but really good art. Yeah. Um, though I didn't hundred percent follow the story. I'll admit that. Uh, I mostly followed it. There's like a recap in issue four. I'm like, Oh, okay. I guess I didn't get that part. Oh, okay. Um which we'll talk about in a minute, I'm sure. And I like the art. Um, but again, it was like, I was like, oh, I was hoping for um, I get Dark Knight Returns, Daredevil again, which uh, Dark Knight Returns. Uh, or like a year one, like some kind of simplification and an abstraction of the Wolverine character. Yeah, I was just looking for that sort of like blocky. I mean, this is, there's certain panels in here that I think are really awesome looking. And then there's certain panels that I'm like, oh yeah, this is fine. Um, yeah. And again, I did. I think I was putting this a few years later. Right. Um, this is more like Frank Miller, who did like a couple of Marvel team up annuals or whatever. I don't like a really good some... artist, but maybe a more yeah. of a journeyman artist. Well, there there are some let's talk about the art a little bit, because, yeah, it's not as stylized as his art would come to be. But there are there are a lot of just like innovations here, especially relative to the time. You got those long horizontal panels that Miller likes to do. Mm hmm which I bet you a lot of our listeners are more familiar with as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle horizontal panels, but those are borrowing from Miller. Um, and you've also got like, he did some interesting stuff with colors. Like there is often just like primary color palettes will show up and things are silhouetted in yellow and blue, especially I think in the fourth issue. Uh, his either wife or girlfriend, Lynn Varley, is doing the colors for this. So they might have been collaborating. 
closely on being innovative with those colors. Um, there's some interesting layout stuff where there's a lot of white space left for the captions that gives a lot of gravity to Claremont's words. So I don't, I, I think. Yes. I, I, th I think the I think layouts they, are really good. There's a couple of pages that remind me of like uh, a simplified Sin City layouts where like this, yes. like when he gets shot with a bunch of arrows and I'm like, Oh, if this was Sin City, there'd be like a thousand more arrows. <laughs> Yes, right, uh, but, exactly. But, but it reminds me of that sort of like slightly exaggerated feel. Yes. Um, I, you can see, I, I would have known this was Frank Miller if you hadn't told me and I looked at the, um, and I looked at the art. Like it, it's, it's, um, it's Daredevil. It's, it's like the first run of Daredevil Frank Miller style. And I'm a bad comic book fan because I don't think I would have until like there's a panel in issue two where I'm like, oh, that is Frank Miller. Um, like when he's, they're leaping out the window and then the next one where um, it's one of these arrow panels I was talking about. Then I'm like, oh, that is, oops, I turned the page. Yes, yes, that's very later. This Frank. one. Yes, yes. This, I was like, oh yeah, Frank, that's Frank Miller to me. This is like second page of issue two. I'm like, well, there's okay, now one, I see it. There's issue one. Um, there is a panel where Wolverine breaks in on Mariko and Mariko's husband that Wolverine learns about in this issue. Kevin, I'm showing it to you. Yes. Um, where Wolverine like takes the husband by the neck and lifts him up and has his claws like ready to kill this guy because it's been revealed that he's beating Mariko. Yeah, yeah. And he only doesn't kill him because Mariko stops him. But that layout is the layout of Bullseye killing Electra. Like that is the panel layout. That is the body language. It, mm -hmm. I, I would say that Frank Miller either swiped from himself or did this layout and then did it again in Daredevil with Bullseye killing Electra because it's like the same. I'm curious what Frank Miller thought of this miniseries. I wonder if he plotted it because a lot of Claremont stuff I know is like the artist sort of drove the story or how much of this was Claremont, how much of this was Miller, how much of this was just a fun job for Miller or how much of this was like he was excited to do it. Uh, I'm, I'm very curious about that. And I don't know any of those answers. I don't know either. Um, I don't know a lot about the behind the scenes uh, of this and I bet you our listeners do. So if anybody there does know, have it, ha has read interviews or knows things about it, the kind of thing we should have done. I, email like us and screw it. Listen to our podcast email. and then teach us about teach what us, we were yeah. talking to you about. <laughs> um, I, I, I really enjoyed it and I, um, I thought it was exciting and, color stuff again in the first issue there's an, there's a something where wolverine's been poisoned and he wakes up on the streets of tokyo and there's like a lot of neon lights over him showing it to kevin and he's like holding his arm where he's poisoned like the colors of those neon lights are they're they're interesting and they're innovative and they're different than what i would just see in a normal superhero story at that time yeah it's it's hard for me to do but i have to remember this is 1982 and there wasn't a lot of comics that looked like this yeah there's no thought balloons in this and that was oh there are but they're very few there's a lot of captions um yeah there's still uh i mean come on kevin you're right this is a frank miller drawing i'm looking at all the uh yeah yeah the that one in the yeah that ninjas. one in the next page those two pages are where i was like oh now i feel the the millerness of it all and the covers I mean, are great look at the cover of issue two with wolverine like yes. leaping forward like an animal i mean that is an awesome cover uh, the art actually credits it as Frank Miller artist and then Joe Rubenstein. Joseph Rubenstein, yeah. As, uh, as finisher. Uh, and I wonder how much of it like was some of these pages were more tightly penciled than others. Yeah, because some of them really look like Frank Miller and some of them look less. Yeah, so some of that was also what I was going through my mind. I was like, were some of these pages more Joseph and more of these Frank Miller? Again, I don't know. But like that... that those two pages we were just looking at the beginning of issue two, I feel like Frank Miller did a lot more on those pages or it feels like you did. Here's the other thing I will say about this and, and having to remember when it came out, this is a big ninja story, right? It takes place in Japan, mm -hmm. the ninja faction, which is called the hand, which is a daredevil enemy mostly. Yeah. Has shown up here and is working for the main bad guy and trying to kill Wolverine. Um, and there's lots of just like ninja fights in Japanese settings. That was radical at this time, like almost because of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and because of Daredevil. Now there, or at least maybe not now, but for the 80s and 90s, there were just tons of ninja stuff in Marvel comics, especially Daredevil. And 
this was kind of like just anything that wasn't your standard American bad guy holding a bag of money fair was sort of like brave and eye-opening and refreshing. Yeah, there's no supervillain in this story. Yeah, so I bet you even that stood out. It's not like Wolverine's in a, you know, he's not going up against Juggernaut on his own for four mm-hmm. issues or, you know, taking on Black Tom or something like that. He's in another country. There's settings we're not used to seeing. There's he speaks Japanese and there's Japanese language thrown in here or there and issues of honor and samurai stories uh, being performed in theaters. That stuff all was like radical at, at in 82. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think that might've contributed to this book's reputation. And also it still is that time when their artists don't always stand out as having individual styles. Yes, and and Miller here is evolving an individual style. That's I think pretty recognizable. Yes, definitely. I mean, this is going to stand out from most artists at Marvel at that time. Yeah. Like if you picked up whatever else was coming out that month for Marvel and then I mean, this, at this, this is the sort of stuff that like John Romita jr. Looked at and was like, Oh, I want to push my art. Cause he's talked about how like he loved, he did not like his art. And I think John Romita jr.'s art has always been great. But like when he saw like Miller, he was like, oh, yeah, I should be pushing myself to, to, to find my own style and unique look. And now if you see John Romita Jr.'s art, it's so drastically different than where he started, which was like kind of more of his father's art. Um, but at that time, not he a was, bad place to start, by the way. His art was great. And I, I would argue better than his father. So John Romita Jr. would disagree with me on that. But it was like it felt like it was model sheet. Good. It was like, Oh, it's really well laid out. And the action is good, but it like, everything looks like what you would imagine are pinned to the walls of the cubicle and the bullpen. This is what Spider-Man should look like where Miller's art looks like, Oh no, don't draw like this unless you're Frank Miller. Right. Right. Uh, And this is, so this is one of the artists I think that pushed Marvel and Jim shooter to sort of just like, accept like, you know, Walt Simonson being another one of them just sort sort of was like a very unique individual art style. Wilson Kevitt's coming through with his oil paintings yes. pretty soon. Um, yeah, the 80s started to be like a lot of individual styles in the Marvel art department. Uh, you know, John Romita Sr. designed the original Wolverine costume. The 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 one the yellow the Hulk one. issue? Yeah. I did not know that. John Romita Sr. designed it, but then Herb Trimp was the guy who actually drew it into the issue. But John Romita Sr. designed it. Uh, with I, I always heard it was Steve Ditko. That's what I always heard too. So I think somebody's lying. Probably Steve Ditko helped John Romita Sr. Because Steve Ditko was a real gregarious guy who reached out and hung out with a lot of people. (laughs) That's right. And he was also like a big Marvel guy. He was just like, he wanted to thumb in all the Marvel uh, characters. He's like, let me help create another character not to make money off of. Yeah. No, no credit needed. He would say. Yeah. Um, Okay. uh, What should we do about plot, Kevin? Are we going to go through this or? Uh, I think pretty quickly, we've already talked so much. What happens in issue one, Will? Um, well, Wolverine is has found out that his girlfriend is married and has told him to leave him alone, and he wants to know what's up. And so he flies to Japan to investigate and finds that she was married in an arranged marriage that her, like, mafia Don crime family father arranged um for reasons i forget although it opens with wolverine killing a bear yes a bear that had been poisoned by hunters he's only killing it because of it he has to it's been poisoned so it's killing people it's being driven mad with rage and killing people so wolverine does a mercy killing of the bear and then finds the hunter and doesn't kill him but physically punishes him for his wrongdoing yeah um yeah, so Wolverine's uh, Mariko has been married off to please her like crime family dad and, or something. And, and her dad was just like a, a mysteriously alive. Yeah, he'd that's been, not really he, talked about, right? He was dead and he shows up and he's alive. Yeah, he'd been dead and then he is, showed up, shows up alive and reassumes head of the crime family. And part of that is like, Mariko, you have to get married. Yeah. And marries her to this abusive man. Um, who was just using the marriage for power or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so Wolverine is upset. And then the second issue, uh, Wolverine is sort of teamed up with Yukio. Yes. And uh, they're attacked by like ninja hands. So we find out that these ninjas were sent by 
um, Mariko's father. Shingo? So yeah, so that... So oh, Shinjin, that but I think that's so his that, title. So that Wolverine and Yukio would sort of bond as a team. Yukio also falls in love with Wolverine. And he then like falls in love with her too. A little he's bit. He's attracted yeah. to her. He's attracted to her, but he, he loves Mariko. Right. Um, but then there's this like weird thing where like she gets him to like go fight the other crime boss's uh, uh, leader. Yeah. Um, but I like don't ever see him fight that. I don't know who that leader is. Like he goes to like an opera where Mariko is at. And that's where I got confused. I was like, why, what's going on? Why they, why'd they like swim into this opera? What, why is Mariko being attacked? How is, is this confusing. part of the plan? It is confusing. But what's happening is recapped later that Wolverine was tricked into killing the leader of the other crime boss. Yeah. What the, the main We're, thrust of it, I don't know how it, the little events tie up, but is that, um, Yukio is working for Mariko's dad secretly and she teams up with Wolverine and pretends to be against the dad but really she's working for him and has promised to kill Wolverine after using him and so she is assigned the task of killing the other crime bosses crime boss's father and she like tricks Wolverine into it somehow but then eventually she'll end up betraying Mariko's dad and maybe always meant to or something it, it is confusing yeah, that's all I'm saying. When I was like, I got a little confused even by this simple story. I was like, I kind of knew that was happening, but I didn't see it happening. And I was like, it uh, it seemed like there was just a few too many moving parts in issue two. Uh, what happens in issue three? Well, let's see. There's more uh, the hand coming in big to take out Wolverine. He finds out that Yukio works for. Yeah, great panel. That's another Miller. The splash page is another very Miller-ish layout at the very least yes for sure splash page of issue three where there's the hand is waiting in an alley for wolverine and yukio and they're all just like there seem just to be like 14 of them crammed into an alley stacked up like the monkeys waiting around the corner of a hallway uh with bows and arrows ready to kill him and um so anyway uh, issue three you were saying i interrupted I forget the the plot here. So the hand, it's like it's just like Wolverine versus the hand. Um, and then he finds out that Yukio's basically been a traitor to him, and so he's he's like, I should kill you, and she's like, You can't because I am the same as you, and to kill me would be to kill yourself. And she's like, You're right. You know what? That doesn't make sense either. You're right. This story doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, but he basically defeats the hand. Oh, and the other thing is he he believes that. Mariko left him not just because her dad ordered her to, but because he's a beast. He he's a berserker animal and not really a man. He has no honor. Yeah. So that like she doesn't respect him. And so in defeating the hand here in issue three, he kind of decides he does have honor. He doesn't kill the person who betrays him. He's not being violent for no reason. Um, he is honorable. He, he, he kind of wins over his own opinion of himself in issue three. Yeah. And so issue four, he kind of goes back to Mariko to, to basically to kill Mariko's dad. Yeah. Like he's just like, your dad's bad. I don't have to keep him alive to prove myself to you. I know that I'm just a good person. He's a bad person. And regardless of what it does to you and me, I'm taking him out. And because in the it's meantime, the right thing to do, just like taking the hunter out at the beginning of issue one is the right thing to do. And while that's happening, uh, Yuriko saves Mariko at one point to sort of redeem herself in Wolverine's eyes. Yeah, so she saves Mariko, and then it's Wolverine versus Shinjin, and it's a big it, protracted battle. It's a big protracted battle in one of the few sequences that isn't covered in Claremont uh, captions. Yeah, it's mostly just art, and it's beautiful. Yeah, I'll say this, Claremont, there were moments where I was like, oh, Claremont is writing a ton in this, but also I was like, I kind of like what he's writing. Uh, it feels overwritten, but at the same time, it's well, it's written overwritten well, and I'm enjoying it all. And it is nice that he like does pull back at this point to let, let that last fight breathe. He he reminds me a lot of Stan Lee in that way. Like Stan yeah. Lee, generally speaking, overwrote everything and stylized all the dialogue, but there were times in Stan Lee would back off. Yeah, I think we, or at least I have said before that like Claremont feels like a modern Stan Lee in a lot of ways. Like 
he is the 80s version of stanley so he doesn't he's not as silly and goofy as stanley was but he is verbose and uh enthusiastic he's got his ticks he's got his pros and cons but he's good and his ideas are strong and he like maybe is taking credit for things that aren't his but also is giving so much to the stories and has a lot of those same things that are that are very stanley-ish yeah but just with a more modern sensibility um the the series ends with wolverine killing the father and then to my surprise the x-men get mail from wolverine and it's a wedding invitation of wolverine and mariko which so that's implied that he killed the dad but she forgave him and agreed to marry him right and that leads right into an issue where that had that uh invitation like as the cover yeah uh where like rogue had just joined the team basically right that's a paul smith issue and the x-men do go to try to attend wolverine's wedding although the wedding doesn't happen yeah um yeah i mean it's it's a really it's a really fun for issues and it it is just in that weird place of like i really wish we had read it at the time because i think we would have really loved it i would have been a kid who knows what i would have thought but uh, if adult me had traveled back in time and been reading comics at this time i think i would have really loved it instead i i kind of read this like oh yeah this is good uh, and yeah. i don't think that is fair to this mini series at all i think it would have blown us away at the time and mm-hmm. right now it's merely good uh, but i'm glad we read it it's it was a big hole in our like reading history I mean, this is also, was this before God Loves Man Kills or after? Yes, before. Okay. So, yeah. So there's just lots of things about, uh, yeah. There's so much of, you know, it's being compared against so many things in my mind that come after it that is not fair. Yeah. To the series overall. I'm glad we read it, though. It it was definitely a huge hole in my uh, comic book reading history it might be most interesting just as a building block for stuff that followed it is crazy how big wolverine is and it is crazy that like this was the start of it all like you know it it is the amazing fantasy 15 in a way of wolverine like it's like can this guy sustain like he's cool and all but can he sustain his own book yeah like in a way like the thing couldn't sustain his own book really i mean i know he did for long stretches but like not really. It didn't stick. The Human Torch couldn't sustain his own. And like those guys were cool members of the FF. And so it's yeah. like a lot of times he's like cool members of a team. Like when you take them away from the team, like it's like, oh, they, they're only cool in, in comparison to when they're like they're bouncing off of Cyclops or whatever. Right. And this sort of proved like, oh, no, Wolverine can work. And not only can he work, like he became arguably the most famous X-Men by a long shot i think he is you know i mean yeah um i mean after cypher cypher's number one yeah there's no cypher most people think of doug ramsey cannonball sunfire and then wolverine (laughs) yeah those are the four Mm -hmm. people think the x-men those are the four names that jump to their mind two non-members who's the most um famous marvel characters spider man spider man's number one right no question. Iron Man hasn't supplanted him. I mean, I think Iron Man is probably firmly number two now. Yeah, I think so too. And Hulk is probably number three. Captain America has shot up some because of the Avengers movies. Right. But I would put Wolverine ahead of Captain America. Yeah, probably. I mean, Wolverine might be ahead of Hulk or Iron Man, but it's would that's you put hard. Deadpool. Hmm. I think Deadpool is after after these movie characters like he's after captain america and thor now yeah i think he's popular but he's still this sort of weird niche popular character he's like a popular over to the right um not politically he's above venom yeah i think he's above venom but not by a long shot because venom is tied to spider-man which makes but venom again venom's had two movies um three if you count the spider-man three movie um yeah i mean those main three avengers have really shot up like they would have been i mean before the movies it was like spider-man hulk wolverine yeah thing maybe right 
um despite the fact that like thing wasn't like way super popular with like the general public it's like neither was iron man or captain but America. if you were going to draw a group of heroes like on the side of a marble's lunchbox yeah you'd put spider-man first maybe captain america hulk and thing would be there yeah captain america's pretty big he's such a he's iconic iconic looking but iron man is like next row yeah you wouldn't even necessarily have to include iron man before the movies and now he is easily the number two character and the only reason he's not number one is because spider-man is just so huge so massive yeah yeah and for so long even with robert downey jr three huge movies uh three solo huge movies and all those avengers movies it's just like ah almost caught up to spider-man spider-man's still it yeah man we have time for some mail or uh what were you at will hines i say we do it so we'll take a break and then do some mail here we go Hi, this is Kevin. I'm here with my brother, Will, and we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books. And we want to hear from you. We have a slew of social media accounts, a slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at screwitcomics or tweet at us at screwitcomics. So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. Uh, We might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks. In advance from Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we're back. Uh, Will, how would people email us? Send us email to screwitcomics at gmail. We'd like to hear your takes on the Wolverine miniseries we just covered or the X-Men or any comics at all. Sandman, whatever you want. And um, you can also follow us on Twitter at Skirt Comics or Instagram, Skirt Comics. We never remind anybody to rate and review our podcast, but a rate and review our podcast. That'd be, that'd be nice. Oh, yeah. Some people do, do it. I want to read some of the reviews we've gotten recently. We've gotten some really funny reviews. I keep meaning to do it. One of these episodes, I'll read them because I think they're really fun. Well, and I'm I think take you'll a enjoy second that. and get ready and do it now. Nah, okay. next time, <laughs> next time. Um, I just, I've already got the emails up and stuff and we're starting to get a backlog there. So let's work through our emails instead. Okay. I have not read through these. So we're just going to go from oldest uh, that I've marked to, to as far as we can get. Okay. Uh, we've got an email here from Adam Piles. Uh, he says, hello, Milksops. I'm a big fan of your podcast. I love the discussion you two have, not just about the comics you're discussing, but also about story and character. I just listened to this. I just listened to the discussion of Busick's Avengers and thought I'd mention some fun callbacks to some old stories. Uh, Sometimes I miss a few things in the show since I have to listen to it. So I apologize if you two mentioned this in your discussion. Uh, The Busick Avengers story references Avengers 202 written by Jim Shooter and penciled by George Perez. Uh, Avengers 202 was titled The Evil Undying. And of course, that references two parts of uh, uh, that references two parts of the four-part Busick story with the title "The Evil Reborn" and "This Evil Triumphant." He's talking about the Ultron story we covered. Well, yes. Um, so we we covered issues that were called "Evil Reborn," "Evil Triumphant," and there was an "Evil Undying" was a Jim Shooter story. Okay. So that's a nice little reference there. Also, I found it fun and interesting that the Wasp crashes into the Avengers mansion, exhausted and seeking help in both Avengers 202 and Avengers 19. Uh, Avengers 202 was a comic adaption of the Jim Shooter prose story, again titled This Evil Undying. This story was in a small collection of prose Marvel short stories called Stanley Presents the Marvel Superheroes. Uh, So that's really cool. That's some little insight. And I'm, it's Kurt Busiek, so I'm 100% sure those were Knowing homages, knowing references. Yeah, it must have been. Uh, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Well, next, we have an email here from Dean Spencer. Uh, Will, who do you think would win a, a style contest between the looks of Morpheus Dream mm-hmm. and Morpheus Matrix? <laughs> uh, that's so this I... is like a fashion show. Yeah, like who would look cooler? Who would have better yeah. looks? I mean, Morpheus has a wider range of looks because he can dress up. You know, we've seen him in Shakespearean garb, in his mm-hmm. 1980s, you know, manager of the pretenders garb. He's looked like a cat. Um, <laughs> you know, he's done a lot of different looks. Um, 
But Morpheus, you know, he's got the leather, got the eye patch. I'm going to say Morpheus from Matrix. He just looks cooler. Like, Sandman often looks dorky. He blows yeah. and goes too far, and he's uncool. So I'm going to say that Morpheus has got is a bit more restrained, and I trust him a little bit more. Yeah, Certainly, Morpheus- if I was going to be dressed, I'd be like, Matrix Morpheus, you tell me what to wear. Because if I ask Dream Morpheus, he'll be like, why don't you wear this mushroom of nightmares? And I'll be like, no, thank you. Yeah, I think Morpheus Matrix has a little bit more swagger. Yeah. Too, which I think uh, is a lot when you're walking down that runway, is how I imagine this contest goes. Yeah, if, if Dream walked down the runway, there's going to be a rain cloud. And if he sees Thessaly, he's just going to stop and mope in the corner and not finish his job. Um, great. Let's move on. We have this one from Ian Jones. Uh, hey, uh, Avengers versus X-Men is the title. Hey, guys, love the show. Not sure what a milksop is, but sign me up. <laughs> All right, Ian, you're a milksop. All right, you're a uh, milksop, and we'll send you one. Uh, you should check out the X-Men versus Avengers crossover event. Uh, this is a four-issue comic book series as well that came out. I don't know uh, if you read this. I'm not sure if I read this. Uh, it's pretty short, but has a bunch of tie-in issues that have epic fights. But, oh, no, this is not that. I'm thinking of something else. I'm thinking of X-Men versus the Fantastic Four. You should check out the X-Men versus Avengers crossover event. This is a more recent story. It's a pretty short, but has a bunch of tie-ins that have epic fights between some of your favorite heroes. It involves the Phoenix, time travel, and a lot of funny moments, but as a serious message. Also, it'd be awesome to hear you guys do a manga. I'd recommend One Punch Man. It's a superhero oriented and has some of the greatest art ever. Thanks for doing what you do. So those are some suggestions, Well, I don't know if we'll do X-Men versus Avengers. I feel like Secret Wars is more our speed when it comes to crossovers than the more modern stuff. Yeah. Uh, One Punch Man. I've heard good things about that. Before. I've heard good things about One Punch Man, too. I've, I've, that's been suggested to me by, by folks. Maybe. Uh, maybe is the answer, Ian. I think we're more uh, likely to try a manga than do Avengers vs. X-Men, just to change it up a little bit. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, here's an email from uh, Adam Azuele. Uh, new listener appreciation email. Well, this is the subject here. I started listening to your podcast when you started doing Busick, and it got me back into reading comics. Hmm. For background, I started reading comics as a little kid in the mid-90s, and I was hooked. I collected and read comics all the way through the early 2000s, and then when I got into college, I was broke and had to stop. That's a common story. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, I got so broke, I had to sell all my long boxes full of comics then I just kind of never picked it up again. And years went by as I watched with surprise this obscure dying art form that I loved as a kid became the dominant force in popular culture because of the MCU movies. I probably would have gone the rest of my life and never read a comic again. But this story has a happy ending because I started listening to your Busick episodes and read Marvels and it reminded me why I love comics so much. Busick clearly loves comics and it comes across in his writing. He rewards readers and fans with fun details and also just crafts really good stories. I'm happy to say now I'm going back listening to every episode of your podcast, and I'm really enjoying reading those original Spider-Man comics from the 60s and listening to you guys talk about why they are great. So thanks and keep up the great work. Hey, that's really nice. And uh, sounds like Busick's Marvels did for you what it did for a lot of people, which is just like rejuvenate uh, their interest in the medium. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a really, yeah, we talked about it in that episode. We, th- I think it was just like a big part of like reminding people why Marvel was cool. Yeah. Here's an episode. Uh, I don't, I didn't sign it, so I don't know his name. Um, but, so here's uh, an episode. Oh, here, oh, here mean, goes. Here's an email. Here's an email. Here's an episode of our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> in the middle of our podcast. Uh, oh, he says it right here at the first sentence. Hey, guys, Logan from Kentucky here. Okay. Hi, Logan. Uh, just finished listening to the recent Superman episode. So this must be Superman Secret, Secret Identity. Identity. Uh, you guys mentioned that if you were to wake up with Superman powers, you would probably mess up in some way or another. <laughs> I was wondering if you think there's a character or power set you think you could wake up with and do a good job using the powers. Uh, he goes, I just watched the Marvel Rising shorts in Disney Plus, and I think I could do a good job with Squirrel Girl powers or maybe Lockjaw teleporting powers. It would be cool to be a dog too. <laughs> That's taking a strange <laughs> turn. So yeah, interested to hear what powers you think you could handle. Thanks again for the pod. Great listen as always. 
Let's see. Um, I know I'd be good at cipher. Just waking up and being able to speak a bunch of languages would be. I would waste that too. I wouldn't. I would just. I would like listen in on people more often on mm-hmm. subway trains. Uh, simpler powers are easier not to mess up though. Like Superman's too powerful. It'd be. I would be. I'd be breaking rivers. How about when the black cat had powers and she just sort of like caused accidents? She just like increased bad luck when she was around. I mean, she couldn't even handle those powers. How could we? It's true. Um, uh, teleporting is probably a pretty good one. Yeah. I would just like use that to get around. Um, super speed, I would wreck stuff. Invisibility just feels like I would become immoral within hours. Yeah, it wouldn't. Uh, yeah, it would be hard not to do that. Um, Daredevil's yeah. radar sense. Yeah, I guess like it's hard to mess that up. Yeah, especially because we'd also be able to see. That'd be a really Daredevil would be annoyed by us. But other than that, I think that's a good pick. What if he just had Beast's big feet? <laughs> Man, I sometimes I have trouble finding shoes that fit me comfortably now. Yeah. Well, so no, no, thank you. Um. Yeah. Uh, telekinesis. I bet I could do okay with that. Okay, like Gene Marvel Girl's powers. Not tele telepathy. I would. I would. Well, she's again, got telekinesis very immoral, too, right? But uh, yes, yeah. But telepathy, I think I would be immoral with. But if I was just like moving things with my mind, like the yeah. force, basically, yeah, I'd be lazy with it. But I wouldn't like do damage. It'd be like, oh, I forgot to grab my towel before I got in the shower. That's the main time I would use it. What if you woke up and you could telepathically command three super apes? I mean, I would become the greatest supervillain of all time. <laughs> Get me to the moon, you'd say. <laughs> uh, we need a we we're due for new Red Ghost super ape story. That he better be the first villain in the FF movie. <laughs> Everyone agrees on that. The Red Ghost. Um, you got time for one more, two more? What do you got? Well, ten more. Ten more. All right. Uh, this is from Mark D's emailed us a bunch. Uh, I'm not going to read the subject because I think it, uh, uh, gives it away. Let's see. This says dear Connecticut lads. Here's a question inspired by a recent episode of the Marvel by the month podcast. It's a podcast. We were a guest on. Well, that's right. Uh, the writer Douglas woke has pointed out that Spider-Man's rogue galleries include several characters who could be described as negative father figures. Older, powerful men with a dark influence on poor Peter Parker. Let's imagine a what-if story in which Peter's life of trauma leads him into villainy and a partnership with an evil father figure. Which of these team-ups would be the most interesting? The vulture and less Spidey as his partner in petty crime. <laughs> Peter Parker becomes the lizard's lab assistant. <laughs> uh, Dr. Octopus marries Aunt May and adopts Spider-Man. <laughs> Uh, Green Goblin's <laughs> chemical gas turns Spider-Man into a sociopath. Uh, the Kingpin hires Spider-Man as his enforcer in crime. Okay. Which is, is the it... most entertaining is the question. Okay. I think the lizard and Peter as the lab assistant and the book becomes exclusively an exploration of pure science ideas. Like the issues <laughs> of Spider-Man are just like academic dissertations. Like you, you, that's your argument for most entertaining. Mm-hmm. Every okay. issue, every, every should be like, Ooh, Spider-Man and the Lizard are working on CRISPR and they're, you know, CRISPR has got an AI and it, now it can like, you know, heal scars automatically. And here's yeah, the, I, you know, the pseudoscience explanation of how that works. That choice is the least villainous because the Lizard's villainous plans weren't like robbing people or stealing people. It was more just like making mayhem and turning people into lizards. <laughs> so like if Peter Parker was his lab assistant, he would just want to turn Peter Parker into a lizard, which is what he wanted to do anyway. Like it wouldn't mm-hmm. change anything okay. about the lizard's MO. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What's your pick? Uh, I'm picking the vulture and spideyest partners in petty crime. I like bank that. heists. Yeah. Uh, I, I, Diamond I, I, I heist like bank bonds. Keep it, keep it small fry. And like he uses his money to like take care of Aunt May. Okay. Yeah. Aunt May's like leading a life of luxury. He becomes He's like, like a very- I want another scratch off lottery ticket, Aunt May. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, oh, you're so fragile. (laughs) Here's what it really should be. Spider-Man joins the enforcers. As the fourth one. Yeah. He's the the lowest ranking. (laughs) Fancy Dan, then Montana, then Ox, then Peter Parker. (laughs) Now, Pete, you settle down. 
You get a vote like everybody else. Now, who votes that we should make the chemical this way? Well, I am a scientist. You just pipe down there. Montana's going to say a thing or two about sulfuric acid. You get the fourth vote. After we've all made up our mind, we'll hear your piece. Uh, Let's do one more, Will, because this is a good one. I like this one. This is a good one to end on. Okay. Uh, this is from Thomas Fransom, who's emailed us a few times. Uh, Thomas says, salutations, Sops. I know you both frequently say how your Fantastic Four season was a mess. <laughs> it was. Uh, but I'm here to say that season was one of my favorites. <laughs> is this it the gave... guy that used to write us like history context? No, 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 no. That's not this guy. Okay. Uh, it gave me a deeper appreciation for Jack Kirby's creative legacy, and it filled in a lot of knowledge gaps I had about my favorite superhero team. Further, I have a theory that helps make sense of your confusing episode structure and format at the time. Although it appeared that the episodes were poorly thought out, cluttered, and dense, <laughs> I would argue that the confusion and lack of consistency was actually an ingenious creative decision on your part to reflect the weird, rapidly shifting vibe of the early FF issues. Is that good enough to get me a no prize? Well, from us, for sure. We'll send yeah. out a no prize freely for anything. But um, but that is also an accurate use of no prize, right? He is taking what seemed like a mistake the problem. And, yeah. and, and making it not a mistake. Yeah, just pointing out the problem is not enough for a no prize. You have to solve it. And he solved it. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, related to the Fantastic Four, uh, he says, I don't have to read this part, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, I'm in a band with my friends. and We have a song that's lyrics are based on Reed's first journey into the negative zone from FF 51. Ooh, really? If you, have, if you have any interest, I'd be happy to share a video of us playing live. It'd be nice to show it to folks who know what the hell the lyrics are about. That's the uh, one that's so, got, I'm at the crossroads to infinity and never ending something to never wear or something. Uh, so I think the answer is yes, Thomas. Send yeah. us that video. Yeah. Maybe I'll have to reply to this. Who knows? Maybe he stopped listening to us because this season is not as messy as the FF season he loved so much. <laughs> uh, no, I'm sure Thomas is still listening. But uh, uh, yeah, we'd love to see that video. And on that note, Will, I think we should wrap up today's episode. All right. What are we doing next episode, Kev? Uh, I think our plan is, though, I haven't. we haven't figured out what issues we're going to read. Uh, She-Hulk. We're going to do some version of... Uh, yeah, Crash Course and She-Hulk, but we've done, as always, no planning for it. And um, so we're going to read a smattering of She-Hulk issues, uh, you know, some some of some of the original Savage She-Hulk, some John Byrne, some Dan Slott, um, and, and probably some other things. Here's the lyrics I was thinking of. I've done it. I'm drifting into a world of limitless dimensions. It's the crossroads of infinity, the junction to everywhere. Uh, that sounds like a good song. Put a beat to it. All right, everybody. We'll see you next episode. Yeah, see you for She-Hulk. See you for She-Hulk. Bye. Bye. Screw it, screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. comics.